going to invite your attention to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55 and a message I call singing mountains and applauding trees. And you'll see why. Verse 12, for you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you. And, uh, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. And may God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You know, um, when I read this song, it makes me think about the day, or read this, song, this message, it makes me think about the day when uh, musicals were all the rage. Uh, I grew up watching Cinderella. It came around every year. Did y'all watch it every year? Some of you, some of you younger folks uh, don't remember that. I'm sorry. Um, you know, maybe you've heard about Greece. Uh, you know, we all grew up watching Greece. I can't recommend that one, but we watched it nonetheless. Uh, <laughs> And we either uh, uh, swooned over John Travolta or uh, fawned over Olivia Newton-John. Musical. You know, you watch enough musicals, you think that just going along, going through life, and suddenly bursting out in song was just a normal kind of way to be. Uh, But of all the old musicals, I like The Sound of Music the best with Julie Andrews. And I can recommend that one wholeheartedly. If you've never watched it, uh, you ought to get it and watch it. A great, great musical, great singing. And when I read this this passage in Isaiah chapter 55, it just makes me want to go running through a mountain meadow and burst out singing, the hills are alive with the sound of music. Come on, somebody surely can give me that background. Okay, nobody did. We had one in the early service. I I sprung it on you too much. It's a great, great uh, song, and certainly this is a great passage of Scripture. And I know, I know that uh, mountains, hills don't sing. I, I know that. I know that trees don't have hands. Uh, But this verse is a part of a larger thought that's being expressed by the prophet. And his goal is to show us how that the word of God, when we hear the word and we are obeying the word, when we are seeking God and living as God would have us to live, the blessings then come not only upon us, but even the world around us can be blessed as we heed and hear the Word of God. Look at it in verse 10. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy, And be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree. And instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. 
Now, we've quoted this passage of Scripture many times that my word shall not return unto me void. But now we see it in its context. It is speaking specifically about how God's word goes forth. His people then hear his word and heed his word. And as a result of that, he says, you will go out with joy, but you'll not go out alone. Even the hills uh, will be singing their song instead of the thorn trees, uh, the myrtle trees will flourish. And you can look around and see myrtles all over our community right now, blooming and blossoming, and very, very similar to what those myrtle trees are in, in Israel. And there, they were a sign, a symbol of the blessings of God and, and the fertility of the land. All of those things then are signs of a land that is flourishing and of a people that are being blessed. And we know that right now, as a result of sin, the whole earth is under the curse and that was spelled out for us in Genesis chapter 3 where God said to Adam, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. It is significant then when in Isaiah chapter 55, God specifically mentions that the earth will not be bringing forth thorns anymore. What he is talking about is how that when we as God's people hear the word of God and heed the word of God, it in effect kind of undoes that curse upon the land so that the land itself can be blessed. Now, if you read in this passage and see a reference to the millennial reign of Christ, millennial means a thousand years. And it speaks of a time when Jesus Christ will come back to this earth and he will sit on the throne of David in the city of Jerusalem and rule over the whole earth. And we will live and reign with him, the Bible says, for a thousand years. And the earth is certainly going to be blessed. The Bible says that the harvester is going to overtake uh, the, the, the person who is plowing. And it tells us about how the wolf will lie down with the lamb and, and how a little child will lead them. It's a marvelous time of blessing that is to come upon the earth. But remember, Isaiah speaks of this in a very current type setting long ago. And he promises that this is an everlasting covenant of God to his people where God says, if you will listen to my word, my word is coming out of my mouth. And if you will heed it, if you'll align yourselves with it, then that word is sent forth with a purpose. And God is going to use it to accomplish that purpose. And that purpose then is to bring blessing on the lives of his people and also to push back the effects of the curse in this world. Um, all around us today is the groaning of the creation. You don't have to look very far to see it. It's very real. Science has worked very hard to define global warming. In fact, a whole generation now has been raised up believing in what's called human-induced climate change. It used to be global warming, but now it's just climate change, human-induced climate change. You say, well, Brother Rich, do you believe in climate change? Of course I believe in climate change. Glaciers that took millions of years to form have melted down in decades. Of course our climate is changing. Is it caused by humanity, by human beings? 
I believe it is. But I don't believe that it's being caused by humans in the way that science tells us, at least not completely. Uh, They will attribute it all just to the effects of carbon dioxide emissions. Well, we can't help emitting carbon dioxide, folks. Breathe in. Breathe out. You just breathed out carbon dioxide. Sorry, your mask didn't stop that from happening. It's just going on. Seven billion people on the planet right now, all of them breathing out. Every time they breathe out, they're breathing out carbon dioxide. How in the world are we going to stop that? Uh, The problem is, is that the Bible tells us that the curse upon the earth is due to sin. Is it human caused? Yes. It is caused by sin. And listen, the more that sin flourishes in our world, the more that people rebel against God and resist God and reject God and refuse God, the more the curse is going to flourish. And we see that every single day. The groaning of this planet, the curse of sin upon this planet. Yes, it's getting worse and it's going to get worse yet. Read the book of Revelation. You'll see it up close and personal. The curse is real. Yes, climate is changing. The whole earth is feeling the effects of man's sin and man's sin and getting further and further away from God. But if that's true, then the whole creation is also going to experience the joy of redemption. And that is said for us very clearly in Romans chapter 8 and verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. So here's the promise of God. My word is going forth. When my people hear that word and heed my word, he said, there will be an experience of blessing. And your blessing is going to spread out so that when you go out, you'll experience that joy. And the hills itself will sing with you. And the trees will clap along. And it's a song that we hear in our soul. The song of the redeemed. The curse is real. The curse is flourishing. But the curse is restrained by the power of God. How then? How do we see that? Isaiah calls us to do three things as God's people in this passage. First of all, he calls us to come to God. That's in verse 1. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what's not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? What a great question. Our Lord Jesus told us, man shall not live by bread alone, Matthew chapter 4, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. In John chapter 6 and verse 27, he said, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. You see, it's possible to be fat and flourishing in our physical life and yet be starved to death spiritually. It's possible to work and work and work and work and buy and buy and buy and buy and spend and spend and spend and spend. And I'm not going to tell you this morning that there's not a temporary joy that comes to us when we acquire something new. 
<laughs> but I'm going to tell you what is new today is going to be old news tomorrow. And it's just one more thing we've got to clean up and fix up. You understand what I'm saying? And so that thing that's become old to us tomorrow, that now it's just something I've got to maintain and pay bills on and keep up with. So what do I now? I've got to get something else. And man, I've got something new. And then tomorrow it's old. Man, I've got something new. And tomorrow it's old. And it goes on and on and on. Folk, there is no end to it. And Jesus asked us, oh, don't do that. Don't labor for the things that perish. Isaiah asking us this great question then, why do you labor for the things that do not satisfy? God says, come to me. And what God offers to us, he offers to us free of charge. I did not say that it was free to God. What he offers to us comes at a great, great price. We'll talk about that in a moment. But though it does not cost us anything, Jesus Christ is the one who paid for it for us. I believe before us today then is one of the greatest threats to modern Christians. It isn't so much that we turn to sin. It's that we get so busy getting stuff and using stuff and uh, taking care of stuff that we miss out on what truly satisfies the longing of our soul. It's possible to be fat and flourishing physically and be starving spiritually. God says, come to me. Come to me. One of the most sobering passages in Scripture is Psalm 106 and verse 14. And it speaks of the time when the children of Israel were being fed manna from heaven. And they got tired of it. And they cried out for meat. And God gave them meat. And Psalm 106 and verse 14 describes that scene. They said they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. And he gave them their request. But he sent leanness into their soul. He gave them what they wanted. But it brought leanness into their soul. Come to God. (laughs) What you most need, you can obtain only from me. It's not going to cost you anything because Jesus Christ has paid it all. It is freely available, God says then. Come to me. Second thing he tells us to do is listen to me. Uh, Listen to God. Verse 2. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. You see, it's possible for us to get into the trap of the only time we come to God is when we want God to listen to us. And there's a place for that. The book of Philippians tells us that we can come boldly unto God and that we can come to him and speak to him about anything. Be careful for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. We can talk to God about anything. And this is a great thing. It's a mystery. I can't explain it to you, but the Bible says it. We can talk to God and God will actually listen. We can't get hardly anybody to listen to us all the time. Your kids won't listen to you, mom and dad. Mom and dad don't listen to you if you're a child. Husband don't listen to you if you're a wife. Wife don't listen to you if you're a husband. Your boss don't listen to you. Let me tell you something. Your God will listen. He says, come to me. You can talk to me about anything. 
What a glorious privilege that is. But it's a sad thing if we get to the point where we only go to God to talk to him. When God says, listen, listen, listen to me. He tells us to incline our ear to him. And that's a, a, a posture that all of us know very well, inclining your ear. If you don't know it well yet, uh, just keep listening to that loud music. And when you're old like me, you will know it. <laughs> that's what my mama told me all the time. I was going, you keep listening to that loud music and you're going to be deaf. She was right. She was right. Uh, irreversible here. You incline your ear. Listen to me. Incline your ear. Why? Because what God says is important to us. And so God tells us to come to him, to listen to him. And as a result of this, he promises several things. Verse 4, he says, when you come to me and you listen to me, I'll see that people will come to you. Great thing. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel. He has glorified you. You see, when we come to God and we listen to him and God's blessings then begin to come to our life, other people around it will see the word of God at work in you and me. That does not mean that we are immune from problems. Far from it. Uh, sometimes it seems like to me that problems kind of follow me around and maybe come to me a little bit more frequently. And maybe you feel that way too. Certainly as God's people, we are not granted immunity from trouble. But I'll tell you what God does. When we go through trouble, he also gives us the grace that we need so that we can go through it and continue to glorify him. Other people then will see it, not just the blessings, but they'll see how that God gets us through the difficulties of life. They will seek us out. God says it because God glorifies us and he glorifies his truth working in our life. Don't you want to be that person? That your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers wants to seek out because they want to hear from you. They may make fun of you at other times, but when the chips are down, they're going to come to you and seek you out. God said it. It's one of the blessings of being that person who listens. He goes even further. He says, I will give you the sure mercies of David. If there's one character in the Bible who can tell us about the mercy of God, it's David. David, you know as I do, David messed up. And he messed up really, really badly. But God forgave him. Why did he forgive him? Same reason he forgives you. Same reason he forgives me. If we confess our sin, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And God, uh, David went before God and said a simple thing. I have sinned. That's what he said. And what did God give him? Mercy. Mercy. David deserved to die for what he had done. And he said that out of his own mouth. But God didn't kill him. And God gave him mercy and continued to use him and gave him restoration. Aren't you glad that we serve a God who gives us mercy? So we come to God. And he then promises that people will come to us. When we listen to him and we heed his word. People will listen. They'll come to us. And even when we mess up, God gives us his mercy. 
Even when we go through trials, God gives us his grace. So, we come to God, we listen to God, then we seek God. Verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. It's another one of those famous passages that we quote all the time. You know, God, my ways aren't your ways. We say it usually this way. Now the Lord moves in mysterious ways. You ever said that? That's right out of here. That's right this passage. My ways, God says, are not your ways. But now you see it in the context. In the context, God is talking about the way he gives us mercy. That is, when we mess up, when we fail... God says, I'm not like you. You know why he says that? Because we are big on the retribution business. <laughs> We're big on the getting even business. We're big on the calling down the judgment of God. We're big on you've messed up and I am going to get you back. I mean, we are big. We, it's hard for us to get past that sense of judgmental thinking where somebody has sinned, somebody has wronged me, somebody has hurt, them, hurt me, and all I can think about is getting back. But God says, I am not like you. How does that seem? Because God gives us mercy. It is mercy free for the asking. When we seek God, then he gives us mercy. But you notice, God says, seek me while he may be found. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. What does that mean? We see God is near to us when we're feeling what we call that sense of conviction. That's when you're sitting there and you're hearing somebody preach a sermon and you just swear, I've been following you around all week. I have not been following you around all week, but the Holy Spirit has. He is near to you and he is showing you that because he is convicting you of a problem that you have. So that here I am, I've had a bad attitude all week and all of a sudden, boom, that's what the sermon's about. Here I am struggling with forgiving somebody and boom, that's what the sermon's about. Here I am harboring bitterness towards somebody and boom, that's what the sermon's about. I didn't know that, but God does. And when he is convicting us, it's not because he hates, hates us or is angry at us. He convicts us because he loves us and he longs to see us, to seek him and seek his mercy and seek his forgiveness. Forgiveness. Our God is a forgiving God. But seek him while he may be found. Because you see the Bible gives us a sobering warning in Proverbs 29 and 1. He that being often reproved and hardened at his neck shall suddenly be destroyed. And that without remedy. See the Bible says my spirit shall not always strive with man. We can resist that convicting power of the Holy Spirit and push God away and say, God, leave me alone. And we can say it too many times. And so the Bible tells us you seek the Lord while he is near. You call upon, seek him while he can be found. Call upon him while he is near. The classic example the Bible gives us is in the Old Testament character of Esau. Esau was the oldest of two brothers, twins. Esau was born first. That meant that Esau had the birthright. The birthright meant that he could be the spiritual leader of his family once his father died. 
Well, Esau didn't care beans about being, <laughs> uh, being the spiritual leader of his father. In fact, he exchanged that, or the spiritual leader of his family, he exchanged that for a bowl of beans, just one meal. And then the Bible tells us this in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. He said later, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, though Esau wasn't interested in being the spiritual leader of his family, he was very much interested in getting a double portion of his father's inheritance. But though he sought it carefully, the Bible says even with tears, he found no place for repentance. See, we can go after sin too long and we can turn after sin too long. And that's why the Bible says, don't do that. You seek him while he is near. Call upon him while he's near. Seek him while he may be found. And if we'll do that, then there's this promised blessing of joy. Because he said, as you go out then, you'll go out in obedience to my word. My word will have accomplished its purpose in in your life. You've heard what I had to say. You have heeded my word. You've applied it to your life. And now not only are you going to go out with joy, but the hills themselves will be singing along with them. And your soul can hear that song. And I'll tell you this morning, if your soul is not hearing that song, it's missing it. Nothing else can fill that need than to hear the song of the redeemed, the song of the soul, the song of joy. When it seems that the whole creation is singing along with you. It's a glorious song of joy. God describes it in verse 10 then, for as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returns not hither, but waters the earth, and makes it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. God says it will prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. And what God has sent his word out to do is to call us back to him, to hear his word, to heed his word, to respond to him, to forsake our sins, to return to Him. And when we do that, not only does He bless us, but He'll bless the land around us. What an incredible promise this is. I'm going to throw you a curve this morning, but hang with me. Spring forward a few hundred years, and you're going to see a man in a chariot, a going across the desert, the Judean desert. This man was an Ethiopian. He was a eunuch, as most men were, because he served the king, the queen, Candace. And most of the people who served the king or the queen were made eunuchs in this day and time. Have you ever wondered why an Ethiopian eunuch all the way down in Africa would come to Jerusalem And be reading the prophet Isaiah. Because that's what he was doing. And remember when you you read the Bible in those days. You you weren't turning pages. You read a scroll that opened up like this. And because the scrolls. Anything to write on was so precious. The words were just packed in there. 
The chapter divisions and verse divisions were added centuries later. They weren't written that way. They, they were written to, written to get the word in there. So here he is reading the scroll. Why would he be reading the prophet Isaiah? Why did he go to Jerusalem? Why did he go to the house of God? Well, I'm glad y'all asked that question. Because you see, if you'll keep reading and, re and remember that this doesn't open up a whole new scene here. It's just going from one verse to the other. We added, by we I'm talking about the people who put in the chapter divisions, added this. Just keep reading and you'll come to Isaiah 56 and 1. Thus saith the Lord, keep your judgment. You see, it's a continuation of the same thought. Do justice, for my salvation is near to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man that doeth this, and the son of man that layeth hold on it, that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it, and keepeth his hand from doing any evil. Neither let the son of the stranger that hath joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths, and choose the things that please me, and take hold of my covenant. Even unto them will I give in mine house, and within my walls a place, and a name better than of sons and of daughters. I will give them an everlasting name. That shall not be cut off. Why was that eunuch reading from Isaiah? Why had he gone to Jerusalem? Why was he at the house of God? Because he had read this passage. Now he was reading on. He was reading earlier. No doubt he was trying to figure it all out. What do I have to do to get in on this promise? He had been to Jerusalem and left there and didn't find what he was looking for. And he was sitting there reading and he was publishing over that passage, that glorious passage in Isaiah chapter 53 where God said, Who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He shall grow up before him like a tender plant. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed along came Philip he had been preaching revival down in Samaria but God pulled him out of that and sent him out here to preach to this one guy and as he was reading he said do you understand what you're reading and he said how can I except some man should guide me and of course I, uh, Philip saw him right there and preached unto him Jesus of course he did because he wanted him to know that there was a reason why he had gone to Jerusalem and didn't find that promise that God had made to him there. Because now Jesus Christ has come and that place was obsolete. That veil in the temple had been rent from top to bottom. And now the fulfillment of those promises was all available to them. If you'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, God says, I'll give you an everlasting name. Though you can never be a father, you'll never have children. I will give Give you a name that will not perish from the earth through Jesus Christ if you'll receive him as your Savior. What a promise that is. No wonder the Ethiopian said, well, was the prophet just writing about himself? Or if some other man, you know what he was asking. Was this just about Isaiah? Was this just a promise to him? 
Or can it work for me too? Will this work for me? Can this be true for me? Sometime when you have time, keep reading in this great passage. Go back and read 53. Read 54. You'll see God made some great promises there to women folk. Read 55. Read 56. And through it all, you're seeing the promised blessings from a people who begin where we have to begin. Because all of God's promises to us are through Jesus Christ. And if we receive Jesus Christ and we live by his word, God says, I will bless you, but also I will bless the world around you. You want to save the planet today? There's only one way this planet is going to be saved. And that is, that is as people align themselves to the truth of God. Amen. Jesus Christ made this world. Jesus Christ sustained this world. And the more people reject him and the more people reject his truth, the more then that they go after sin and reject their Savior, the more this planet is going to experience the curse of God. And it's only when Jesus Christ is enthroned over this planet that it will truly experience once again the blessings that God designed it to have. You'll not hear a scientist or a politician anywhere on the planet today saying that climate change is being caused by sin. But this old preacher will say it because God says it right here in Isaiah chapter 55. If you'll receive me, if you'll respond to my word, then the very hills themselves will erupt with joy. The trees will clap their hands. The thorns will be replaced by beautiful myrtle trees. The curse will be pushed aside and my blessing can be brought upon you all. But it all starts with receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior. Maybe it's been a long time since you've heard the song of the soul. You need it. You need it more than you know you need it today. I want you to know it's available to you. If you will come to God, listen, and seek Him while He may be found. Stand together, please.